in the three weeks that they've been out, the engagement has been amazing. Um, and watching it grow has been simultaneously terrifying and exhilarating. Welcome to Podcasting Smarter, the podcast for and by podcasters. We interview podcasters for the real scoop on podcasting. Whether you're thinking about starting a podcast or have been podcasting for years, you'll find lots of inspiration, valuable lessons, and tips in our interviews. This podcast is brought to you by Podbean. Please visit podbean.com, the home for podcasters. Hello, podcast friends, and welcome back to Podcasting Smarter. Josh Hallmark is joining us today. Josh is the podcast host and producer of not only the Our Americana podcast, but also a new podcast network of the same name. The Our Americana Podcast Network curates and creates podcasts that celebrate American storytelling, mythology, and folklore. I can't wait to hear more from the man behind this incredible sounding creative venture. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, my pleasure. As with all my guests, I have the privilege of listening to some of your podcasts on your network. So I um, I can say that I thoroughly enjoyed them. And I think I, I mentioned that to you before we started recording. So for now, let's hear how and why you actually did start a podcast. It's an interesting story. I was living in Seattle and uh, my partner and I had had this uh, like four year enduring argument about where we wanted to live. Um, I had bounced around America basically all through my 20s and had lived in Seattle for about five years and that was home to me. But he had grown up there and was itching to experience something else. So the after years and years and years of kind of debating this, we decided that the compromise would be to buy an old van, uh, renovate it, and drive around America and uh, for six months and just live out of this van and find a place that we could both love living in together. So obviously we spent hours and hours and hours in this van traveling the country and it was right around the time that Serial became the big podcast. So we were listening to lots of podcasts, Serial being one of them. And I really loved the medium. I am a writer and I, my whole career has been in marketing. And I just thought it was a fascinating way to, to tell stories, but also to engage with people and to create conversations. And so simultaneously, I'm experiencing podcasting for the first time in an, in an intense way. But I'm also experiencing... America um, in an intense way. And ultimately, we ended up in New York. And after six months of being on the road, I really just yearned for being back on the road and learning the lessons I learned while I was on the road and sharing them with people. And I felt like I had a story to tell. And, and a lot of that was rooted in small town America. I think if you are from the cities or from the coasts, you have a, a very a uh, singular idea of what small town America is. And I was pleasantly surprised out on the road to find that it's a wonderful place that is progressive and interesting and the people are charming and kind and open. And um, that was the story I wanted to tell was what it means to be in small town America and also what it means to be part of a community so we got to New York and that was the way I, I wanted to relive that experience was creating that podcast. And that's how Our Americana came to be. So when you say you landed in New York, are you talking New York City or upstate New York? <laughs> New York City, which um, I feel a little bit like it was all part of a master plan to bamboozle me because that is <laughs> always where my boyfriend wanted to end up. And it was the last place in the world I wanted to end up. And, um, you know, as we made our way around America, we ended up in New York. And he was like, well, I mean, we're here now, we might as well just stay. And I, that's when I realized I had been 
fooled. <laughs> oh, well, that was a long game on his part. Because it, he really was, had it was, it was. <laughs> I, I really respected his game. <laughs> <laughs> I would do. Okay, so you mentioned learning all these lessons from small town America, yet you ended up in a big city. So how do you take those lessons of community and friendship and all those things, how do you bundle them up and apply them in your life now? Um, I just, the timing could not be more relevant. So we were on the road during the primary season, and I don't want to get too political because right, I think that's dangerous. All, yeah, <laughs> we've all kind of reached our peak with that. Um, but it taught me some really valuable lessons that I take with me everywhere I go, and that includes the internet and family dinners, um, which is, you know, I, I am very firm in my political beliefs and uh, probably egregiously outspoken sometimes. And what I learned is, you know, we, we have been taught that it's, it's black and white when it comes to politics, particularly with people and their political leanings. And what I learned in small town America is that people are more than just Republican or Democratic or, you know, conservative or progressive. So I, I learned to have open-minded conversations with people who are not like-minded to me. And I also learned that 90% of people agree on 80% of the issues. And that to me was the most heartwarming, wonderful thing is, it, you know, I, I'm a gay man and I'm traveling rural America with my boyfriend in a van. And that was a really scary idea sometimes. You know, we would be in northern Mississippi in the woods and it, it was like, what am I going to run into out here? And what I have found is is the way that we have been taught to perceive America is just not reflective in its reality. Uh, never once did anyone anywhere raise an eyebrow at us. And never once was anyone unkind to us. Um, so that was the big lesson. And I, you know, I live in a a neighborhood in New York that is being gentrified rapidly. Um, in fact, there was a, a whole podcast series about it. And so I have really taken the time and energy to go out into this neighborhood that is predominantly black and historically black and is really struggling because it's the most affordable neighborhood in Brooklyn and lots of people are moving here and a lot of people are being driven out because of prices. And I've learned to just talk to people about their feelings rather than, um, sorry, cat, um, rather than being rooted in my own opinions and, um, you know, feeling like there's a, a division there that I can't cross. So it sounds like podcasting is a terrific vehicle to sort of take what you learned on all your road tripping and, and tell it in a, I guess, a storytelling format, right? Absolutely. I think that's a, I think that's a good thing because yeah you can only live one place at a time so all of us people who are living on either the east or west coast I'm an east coaster myself we are we don't have necessarily the opportunity that you took to to find out what the rest of the country is really all about so that's pretty cool yeah I like I you know I I don't like to take a lot of credit for what I do because what I'm really doing is curating other people's stories. And that, to me, I take more pride in that than anything I've created because I get to, I get to give people new perspectives on things uh, through other people's voices, and that is so empowering. Yeah. So, so what was your biggest challenge in sort of taking this idea to start podcasting and to take these stories and curate them and put them out into the world? Like, how do you even start doing that? I, I mean, I think the most obvious challenge that I still struggle with, I guess now eight months into the process, is I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I, I didn't have a lot of money, and I, I think a lot of people don't realize that podcasting is a very expensive um, venture, yes. hobby, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you, you know, I can only afford to, to do what I'm doing. And so I think that has been the biggest obstacle is I would love to have NPR quality audio and I would love to be able to actually travel to these small towns and rent studios and interview people in person in a studio so it sounds crisp and clean. Unfortunately, that's just not viable. Um, so that's been a big challenge. Also, finding people has been rough and I wish 
The first two episodes I did were just a piece of cake, and uh, it gave me a false sense of ease. Um, I found five people right off the bat who had interesting stories, who wanted to share them, who were available to share them, who interviewed very well. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. Um, and I realized that that was the anomaly, because finding people is really challenging. Yeah, it's it's super hard. It really is. I I have experienced that struggle myself. So I completely relate to it. Now I want to talk about one of the podcasts on your network that I am so into right now. (laughs) I can't wait for the next episode. And it's the Karen and Ellen letters. (laughs) And, you know, for people that haven't discovered this podcast yet, do you want to just give a, a brief description of what it's about? Yeah. uh, 12 years ago, as a birthday gift, I was handed a file folder full of handwritten letters between a landlord and two of his tenants from the 80s. And we debate a lot on the podcast how, um, what is an appropriate way to describe these girls. And just boiled down to its most accurate form is they are two of the dumbest, most demanding people possibly in America. And so the podcast is is basically a reading of these letters. I've had some actors come on and portray each of them, as well as my journey from receiving the letters through over the years, trying to authenticate them. And eventually those two components of the podcast will collide uh, without giving too much away. Um, and that's, and then we do, an after show, which is basically I bring in some commentators to talk about the letters and we, we play each letter and then we talk about them afterwards. And that just came from wanting to create a community because that's what these letters have always been to me is sitting around in a living room with friends, drinking wine, laughing hysterically. And I wanted the listeners to have, have that as an option. So we created the commentary episodes. These letters are so incredible in that they're so ridiculous and and so ridiculous that you you have to wonder who are these people and do they even exist so we know they we know these are real people right that's i think you you've done a good job of sort of establishing that as part of the premise without revealing who the, these people are at this point in time yeah but you know what i i wanted to ask you was going back to when you received the letters as a birthday gift what is it about you that somebody would give you that as a birthday gift? <laughs> that's a good question. And I, that's not something I've even ever really considered. I think I have a, I think that I find humor in life in, um, I think as a coping mechanism. <laughs> and, um, I think people who have gone through a lot of garbage in their lives um, are able to find the humor in things. And yes. that's, I, I think, one of my strengths as a person is I don't take a lot too seriously and I can find the humor in just about anything. And uh, the, the coworker who gave them to me is very similar. And I think we had always kind of bonded in our approach to life and the comedy in even the darkest of moments. So I would assume that that is why she thought these letters would be perfect for me. And where did she get them? So I, we worked together at a law firm, and she was a paralegal. And she also volunteered for the San Francisco Tenants Union. And one of her co-volunteers worked at Kinko's. And was at, the landlord came in at one point to Kinko's because he needed to get all the letters copied. Um, and I don't want to spoil why that happened. Um, and he, this guy was the guy who was doing the photocopying. And as he was copying these letters, he started reading them and realized that he had just been handed a treasure trove. So he ended up making a copy for himself. And that copy, I think he did what my friends and I have done over the years for a while. And I don't know if this is his original copy or if he made a copy, which he gave to my friend at this tenants union meeting. Uh, but that, that is their origin. Oh my! Well, I don't want to give away too much from what I've listened to, but just to sort of whet the appetite for somebody who might be considering listening, just to give you an idea of how ridiculous the the girls uh, were, how ridiculous Karen and Ellen were. Um, this is just a little bit, but they apparently would go out back 
where there was a koi pond and take Dawn dishwashing detergent and bathe the koi fish <laughs> and then would get upset when a neighbor, you know, they would question this neighbor who was watching and wondering if the neighbor was weird. And um, so that just gives you a little a little taste of how quirky these two <laughs> these two girls were in their real life. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Well, there's there's another spoiler. Um, and we're so early in the series and it gets as a good friend said, like we're still in line for the roller coaster at this point. Oh my gosh! So I don't mind giving away a few. Um, my my favorite spoiler that I think really uh, sets up the the ride that you're about to embark on is one of the tenants, Ellen, finds out that the landlord Mark has been giving firewood to some of his other tenants, and Uh-oh. she. Yeah, she feels a bit of inequity because she has not been receiving firewood. So she writes him a letter saying, you know, I hear you give firewood to your other tenants. Why don't I get any? I would like some. And his response, and he, you know, the, the, I think one of the, the most underrated parts of the letters is the landlord because he is so patient and so dry and very in on the joke that is happening to him. His response is merely, it's true. I... I do give free firewood to some of my tenants, those who have fireplaces. <laughs> and their response is, I know I don't have a fireplace. If I did, I would have found it by now, but that's not the point. If they get free firewood, I want free firewood. Oh my gosh. It, it's just priceless. Like every letter is priceless. It really is. I mean, you really stumbled upon just a treasure for uh, in terms of content for a podcast. <laughs> I hope you're able to to duplicate the the specialness of this of this premise in another podcast someday because this is really it's so unique and it's such a it's interesting on so many levels because there's a sort of like this mystery element to it. There's the fly on the wall because we get we get insight into a period of time into these people's lives that we wouldn't otherwise have access to. And um, and then there's the, just the fun of of trying to figure them out as people. I so think, it's just uh, delight. Yeah, that's what I love about it. And it's kind of why I chose to do it now. Um, there's a lot of subtext and you know, I, I have spent 12 years with these letters. I've read them probably close to 100 times. So I, I think I've had a lot more time to really analyze um, what what's actually happening or, you know, find some depth in them. But there's a lot of relevant subtext to them. Also, I love the idea, you know, true crime is really in. People love a mystery. I've felt a little um, oversaturated with true crime lately. And I liked the idea that this... This was a, a fun, light podcast that had a mystery element. And the, the listeners are, are rabid. They are sleuths. They are dying to know what's going to happen. They're trying to research these. And that's been really fun to me to watch. Um, people care so much about a mystery that is not dark or gruesome or terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your production and your workflow. So you've got these letters. So at least for this particular podcast, you sort of have your, your content, right? So how, how many episodes do you record in advance? Like, just tell me as much as you want about sort of your whole process and in the production. Yeah. So, um, I, I am honored that you think that there, there, there's a level of organization to it because <laughs> my, my process and setup is very primitive. Um, I, you know, I've been doing Our Americana for eight months now, and I just started doing Karen and Ellen, and I'm working on a few other projects simultaneously. And I, I knew doing two podcasts at the same time was going to be a lot of work, and I would say... Even now, it's so much more work than I ever could have anticipated it would be. So there, there are weeks where I am... So Our Americana, just really briefly, I interview three to five people in each town um, about their experiences in the town. So in a given week, I can be interviewing three to six people for Our Americana while recording commentary for the letters, while doing post-production for both podcasts and then doing early development and early production for some other podcasts I'm working on. So it really, any given day could be just like 
working entirely on one show or working on multiple shows in the same day. I, a few days ago, had this really terrible day where I, I it, in one hour, edited and produced an entire episode of the Karen and Elle Letters. Immediately after finishing that, I got on the phone to have this very heartfelt interview for Our Americana, where we were both like on the verge of tears. And immediately after that, I recorded two hours of commentary for the Karen and Ellen letters where we were drinking and laughing hysterically. And at the end of that day, I just was so emotionally exhausted from just bouncing around from all these different ideas and, um, and emotional responses to them and conversations that were so varied. And that, I, I think that's an extreme, but that's what most days look like. And I, I record, um, and this shocks people, um, using iPhone earbuds in my dining room. <laughs> you know what? I, I love that. You know, because I've, I've listened to your shows and the audio is good. I mean, it, it's good. There's, you can't really complain. I, it's clear and it's pleasant to listen to and the content is interesting. So does it have an NPR studio quality? Well, no, but 99.9% .9 of podcasts don't either. So um, yeah, I, 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 I would, uh, I would brag about that, that you're doing this with your <laughs> iPhone earbuds, because I know a lot of people who are spending hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars on podcasting equipment, and they probably don't sound any better, maybe even worse. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no shame in that game, so to speak. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so, okay, that sounds like a tremendous workload. I'm not going to kid you. That sounds like a lot of work. Do you have any help? Is there any help coming? Is there any help on the horizon for you? No, I had an intern very briefly and I realized that I, you know, and I, I have, you know, my, my whole career was corporate America and I've worked with interns in that capacity before. And I realized that I did not have the bandwidth to have an intern in a way that would be productive for both of us. Um, so I, it's just me. Um, I do all the web design, all the marketing, all the PR, all the editing, all the research, all the interviews, all the production. Um, and that is like, I, I would say last week I probably worked about a hundred hours and it, it's just, it's not enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's okay. never enough. Oh my, gosh. Okay. oh my gosh. Okay. So let's talk about, we, we have to have a plan, Josh, because I know you need to make money on this venture. So <laughs> um, let's talk about the network. So you've got this network, two shows are going strong and you've got two that you're onboarding at some point in 2017, we're thinking. And so this is obviously your full-time gig. You, there's no way you have another job going on. You've, you're all in on this project, right? I am all in. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so scared. Okay, so you've got the network. All right, I, I don't even know where to begin with this because it looks to me like you're putting together some real quality content, but you're doing all the work. So with these two additional shows that are that aren't uh, launched yet. How involved are you? Are you on the mic for those shows or how is that working? So, well, and there's three now because I am a masochist. Um, <gasps> <laughs> um, for two of them, it's I'm a hundred percent. So much like uh, our Americana, I'm, I'm doing everything. And for one of them, I'm just producing um, it. She is very new to um, not just podcasting, but storytelling in general. She appeared on Our Americana, and I was really impressed with her. She's She just turned 20, I think, 20 or 21. Oh, wow. Um, and she lives in rural West Virginia. She's a trans girl going through her transition, and her story was just so compelling to me because she talks about her experiences in a way that are not political and in a way that do not feed into stereotypes. And I thought that while that story has a place in politics, that story needs to also have a place outside of politics and be about people and their lives and not how their lives impact others and how others impact their lives. And the way she tells her story was unique. And she approached me and said, I want to do a podcast. I love what you're doing. I want to get in on that. I want to share my story in that way. 
but I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even have a computer at this point. So, <laughs> so I've been kind of walking her through how to get set up and I'm doing her marketing and branding for her. And we're doing a lot of concepting right now. And then she's just started recording her first few uh, episodes. And I'll be, at the beginning, playing a very heavy hand in editing and producing those and hopefully providing her with the tools that in, you know, five or six months she can start doing, you know, 80 or 90% of the show herself. Okay. I like that. I, th- I like that you're taking a chance on her and that you've recognized sort of a unique voice and story. And I think it it fits in from what I can tell sort of with the uh, aesthetic or the feel of the network that I'm kind of getting so far. So what is, what is your vision for the network? Like what is your vision in a year and what is your, your vision five years from now? So my vision, you know, from a brand perspective is I want the podcast on our, I want our Americana as a network to be a place where people can, simultaneously feel good about America, but also learn and expand the way they feel about Americans. Uh, mm. that, that is the overall uh, point of view for the network. You bleed red, white, and blue, don't you, Josh? <laughs> I do, which is so strange because I think, you know, four years ago, uh, I would not only disagree with that, but I would be insulted by it. Um, but I've Again, I, I, and the other show I'm working on is really exploring words and the impact that words have. And I think patriotism is, is such an interesting word because it paints a picture and that picture is very homogenized. And I have learned that I am very patriotic um, and I don't fit into the picture of patriotism. And so I, a lot of what I'm doing through all my shows is reconciling that. Nice. I like it. I like that you have this vision. Okay. So, okay. So let's look forward to five years from now. What does, what does it look like? What does success look like for you? Oh, um, again, you make me sound so much more organized than I am. I think (laughs) that's my job. (laughs) (laughs) I think success to me and I am I'm really bad with money um, in every sense of the phrase. So I, when I think about success, I think about the emotional merits of success, not so much the fiscal merits of success. So success to me, I think, will always be just um, being a, a safe place to learn and grow. Um, in terms of fiscal success, you know, I, I've just reached a point where I'm, I'm doing slightly better than breaking even. Um, okay. I would, yeah, I would love to get to a point where all the shows are not only self-sustaining, but I am making enough to live comfortably. And my goal for 2017 is to make $1,000 a month, which is, you know, not a lot, especially in New York City. Um, and anything after that, I want to donate to charities that um, are helping some of the towns I'm covering in our Americana. That's this year, you know, depending on whether or not I even reach um, the $1,000 a month goal by the end of the year, let alone having something to give back to the community, that will define what next year looks like. Wow, I like that. I like that you're giving back to these towns that you sort of kind of have a, a fondness for now that you're familiar with them and their and the people in them. It's it's important to me. I um I guess in that sense I'm a bleeding heart liberal. I think it's important to take care of other people. And, yeah, you um, definitely are, but you're still at a thousand dollars a month in New York City, you are well below the poverty line, yet you're still giving away <laughs> money. So you, you know, are look, bad like, with money, Josh. You are very bad with money. I know. <laughs> you should you and my boyfriend could talk for hours about it. Um uh, and like I don't want to paint a picture that is disingenuous. Like we we are by no means at, at we're middle class. Um and my boyfriend is doing obviously 99% of the heavy lifting on that. Um, but, ah, he's he's got a good job and he's supportive of what you're doing. That's great. Which great. Is amazing cuz I I I couldn't 
do it if I were him. Um, but he is so supportive and every day he's like, do not worry about money. What you are doing is is powerful and amazing and I believe in you and I just want you to keep doing that. So I, like none of this exists without him. You know what? That's that's so good to know because I think as podcasters, I bet a lot of us wouldn't do what we're doing without some sort of support within our family. Whether it's your, you know, your partner or your, you know, your family unit, whatever it looks like. I mean, it's it's annoying to live with a podcaster. Like with me, for instance, we don't have a dining room anymore. My dining room is my podcasting studio. So you know, goodbye dinner parties at our house. Like we're, you know, we're eating, you know, in the basement on a coffee table <laughs> 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 because our dining room table is, uh, is, you know, otherwise being used. So, so yeah, I think it's a good point that how much easier it is to podcast when you have some, some support or yeah, a lot of support. I will say there have been many times where, cause I, I am an independent person by nature and I hate I hate having to go to him and be like, oh, this bill is due or like, hey, I need help with this. And there have been so many times where I've wanted to quit because I just I don't want to have to rely on him and I don't want him to have to feel beholden to me in any particular way. And every time I say I should just quit and go back to work, he is very firm and says, no, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, well, you know why he's saying that, Josh? It's because you're the cool kid now. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> producing podcasts, which are super cool. Um, everybody knows it. You know, we, we, you know, we're going through this period where podcasting is having a very long, glorious moment. And, uh, you know, he's partnered with somebody that's a big part of that scene. <laughs> <laughs> so he better support you. You're the <laughs> he is very proud. And that to me, uh, that's the most rewarding part of everything is having someone who is proud of the work you're doing. Okay. So I have a feeling because we had a little chat before we hit the record button. And based on that chat and based on my experience with the Karen and Ellen letters podcast, I just have this feeling that that podcast has is right on the cusp of blowing up where you might have a, a taste of some serial-like fame. And if that happens, Josh, how are you going to handle it? I, you know, I, I always knew that these letters would do well because they've, <laughs> you know, they've had other... Um, They've evolved over time. They've had other lives before this, and they've always been a hit. Um, there is a little bit of trepidation about them getting big. I almost did not put them on iTunes because I just really was nervous about a wide distribution for them. Um, and I don't want to go into too many details because I don't want to spoil how the podcast uh, goes from here. Sure. Um, but I will say just in the three weeks that they've been out, I have been, just the engagement has been amazing. Um, and watching it grow has been simultaneously terrifying and exhilarating. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've done my, I've done my best to conceal their identities because I really don't want uh, this to blow up in any sense of that phrase. Um, I don't want it to blow up in my face, definitely. And, uh, the some of these listeners are are rabid and they have done a lot of sleuthing and we have had a few serial moments where uh, like there's been a last minute revelation that one of the listeners found these women like out in the wild today and that, that their paths have intersect intersected with like relevant current events and it's just really wild that of all the shows I'm doing this is the one that's had these um, crazy revelations and are be are becoming like an investigative um, reporting podcast. It's just wild what this has turned into. It is um, wild. It's so fascinating. I cannot wait to hear how it plays out. You know, and what's nice about having a network and then having a, a flagship show, so so to speak, you know, some a show that sort of takes off and has its own success is if you're the you know the the creator of that network, it pulls up all your other shows too because because I was turned on to 
the Karen and Ellen letters that I discovered the other shows in your network and and listened to them. So I think it's great. I, I really hope it continues to take off and that just this momentum is is just the beginning because it's it's definitely deserved of all kinds of attention. Thank you. All right. So I am wondering, since you have this podcast that you mentioned um, coming up in your network, that's um, this young 20-year-old woman who's going through this, this trans transitioning, um, that made me wonder if you thought that there are any subjects, ideas, people that are underrepresented and um, in the podcasting marketplace. I do. It's interesting that you should ask that. Um, I'm a member of a few Facebook groups uh, that are not just for podcasters, but it's really for anyone who is passionate about podcasting on either end, either as a listener or a producer. And that very question came up today, which is what what podcasts would you like to see more of or are not represented? And just, you know, there were probably the last time I looked like 50 responses and they were all different and I agreed with all of them. And that's really? what's, yeah. And that's, what's so beautiful about this, this medium is it's so new and there's still such a wide breadth of subject material. There's still uh, a lot of room to, to be creative and original. So can you share like some of the topics that sort of stood out to you that people had listed in that discussion? Yeah. One of them and the, that I liked, and I, I know that there are a few r- religious podcasts, not uh, that came out the wrong way, like uh, podcasts that explore religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but one was, I, I would like to explore the marriage between religion and politics throughout the world. And I thought oh, that was interesting. Yeah. Another was women in history. Um, one I like, um, and I, I think I've talked about it on every single one of my shows. I'm obsessed with The Real Housewives. <laughs> Which ones? All, all, all of them. them? Any of them? I can't believe you, Abby. All of them. That's a that's a lot to take on. I'm. A, <laughs> it is. I, I'm a big fan. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a big fan of the New Jersey Housewives. That's the um, only one I don't watch. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. they are. They are something else. They are personality plus. They will not disappoint you. But so I. Yeah. (laughs) The reason I bring it up is I was raised mostly by women um, and and women who were raised with privilege and who were very dysfunctional. Mm. And so I think that I relate to them in that sense. But I'm also just fascinated by the the dynamic of the way women relate to one another um, just out in the world. And I I think a lot of it is is based on the history of women's role in America. and just kind of getting the raw end of the deal for so many years and being so, um, not con- controlled isn't the right word, but, you know, men being the decision makers. Yeah, not having our own agency for so long. It definitely has some ramifications. Absolutely. And just I've seen in my own personal experience and in the history of America, women be pitted against each other. And I think it's created a really fascinating um, and simultaneously sad dynamic. So I, I would love to see a podcast about that. Um, and I, I, I'm definitely not the person to do it because I don't think I have any business talking about a subject material that I am not a part of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, that's a show I would love to see. Um, but that's something you could produce, Josh, because you're not doing enough. You need to add yeah, another know. show into the mix. I mean, who needs to sleep? <laughs> Nobody needs to sleep. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the kind of podcasts that you actually like to listen to personally. I So I went through my big true crime um, phase where yeah. I was listening to a bunch, and I actually just a few days ago deleted a lot of them because it was just too much in every sense of the phrase. <laughs> were they giving you nightmares? <laughs> they were giving me nightmares. They were giving me anxiety. Oh, uh, yeah. And it just, I, I was oversaturated. Um, and so I, I do still listen to a handful of true crime shows. I like a lot of shows that are similar to our Americana, kind of the human interest shows. Okay, you can name a couple. I'm curious if I listen to them or not and might, might yeah, add them invis- to my playlist. Invisibilia is probably my favorite. Okay. Um, and yeah. I, I wish that they would produce more. I can't get enough of them. 
um, and reply all is another favorite. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the the intersection of um, technology and and humanity that I love, and those two cover those very well. Um, I'm a big fan of. I'm trying to think. It's one of those things where if it's not in front of me, I can't. Make yeah, it. Um, no. Varmints is my favorite. It's it's pretty new, and it's just a nice like breath of fresh air because it's just two people talking about animals. Varmints. One of my, that's one of my favorite words. I love anytime I can use the word varmint in a sentence. Like I'm going to take advantage of that. It's, and you varmint. should hear the show because it's they come at this topic from such a, a wonderful, um, like childlike place. Aww. It's almost like a two sixth graders giving a, a report on an animal every week. <laughs> <laughs> but they're adults, and I love them. I've actually gotten to know one of the hosts quite well. Oh my gosh, I'm totally gonna check it out. Okay, so I know you deleted a lot of true crime podcasts. Which ones made the cut? Uh, my favorite, which. I did not like this podcast when it first came out, and they have grown. I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's my favorite. Which one? True Crime Garage. Oh yeah, I listen to True Crime Garage. I. They have evolved so much, and I'm so impressed. Um, Yeah, I like that show a lot. Because there are some others that I still listen to, but I've they actually started off really strong, and then I've seen them kind of, um, I don't know, maybe just be impacted by their success in a way that. negatively impacted their storytelling. Okay. Yes. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. So I was hoping you were going to say, this is a one that's newer on my playlist, but I've really gotten fond of it is my favorite murder. That, it, um, off the record, that's the one I was just <laughs> referencing. Oh, gosh. Um, well, I know, but I know what, yeah, and I know what you're saying because they're doing all these live shows now. And yeah, it's not the same as when you're just like recording in the studio and covering. Like, and the banter has kind of gotten excessive. Um, but I do, I, it's definitely made the cut. I love it. I think those women are so funny. In I fact, would I love to have that kind of chemistry with a co-host. Like if you are like considering like a co-host, listen to my favorite murder, even if you don't like the topic, just listen to their banter and how well they coalesce on the show. It's it's magical. It really is. Absolutely. So that that's another one that made the cut. I love small town murder, I want to say is what it's called. It's similar. It's two men, but it's a comedic true crime podcast about mm-hmm. I'm gonna um, check that one out. yeah murders that happen in small towns oh so scary you're right it does give you a little bit of anxiety because then you, you start when you listen to a few like back to back you start you know you walk out your front door and you look at everybody suspiciously <laughs> and that is exactly what happened where I was afraid to answer the phone and I live in New York there's noise all day all the oh, time but yeah. anytime I heard a noise at night I was like oh my god someone's trying to kill me <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I know you're bad with money. What is your weak spot when it comes to podcasting? Uh, I think it, I think it's been fully established, which is I, I take on too much. Uh, <laughs> I just I have a lot of ideas and I want to execute them all, and I think that I can. And even even though I know like I should not do this, I don't have time to do this. I cannot help myself, and I take it on. So is this a is this more of an issue of you like being a control freak or is it <laughs> an issue of just lack of resources or an intersection of both? It's, it's both. Yeah. Because I think you're going to need some help to, to see this vision all the way through. I am. And I'm, I'm working on it. I, I, like I, I'm interested to see because obviously it has not been mastered yet. How podcasting um, continues to, to monetize itself or become an economy of its own because where we're at currently just uh, to me is not um, appropriate in terms of the work that goes into it and the the value that it offers to people um, what people are making and there is a small percentage of podcasters who are making tons of money and I would love to tap into just like two percent of what they're making right yeah um, but the majority of us, and, and I'm talking about very big shows that are on, you know, iTunes, you know, list of shows to listen to and are doing very well in their various hosting um, platforms that are struggling, um, myself included. And so I'm interested to see how that happens. And I know ads has come into play and uh, I was approached once and I, I just was like, wait, you want me to spend <laughs> two minutes of an hour talking about, I don't know, like 
tires and you're going to pay me $5 to do that. Like it just was. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it happens. Um, uh, just from a listener perspective, but also from a poor producer perspective. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that kind of sort of leads me into this question. What are your predictions for the future of podcasting? I, I think, and I, I would be surprised if it's not already happening. I think we're going to have more Hulu type subscription. Um, I agree so much with that prediction. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm shocked it hasn't happened yet. And I, and, and, but again, I think it's this, this problem that we're already encountering, which is we're not really celebrating independent artists in any respect. Um, I worry that with a subscription service, it's going to be the same 10 shows that are already making $25,000 a month. And, and the rest of us are going to be like fighting tooth and nail to, to get in on that action. So I, I hope that's not the case, but I, I worry that that's going to be at least the first step. I think that's a legitimate concern. I really do think it's sort of, we need to see a combination of sort of the Netflix Hulu model, you know, a subscription-based service with podcasts. But then I, that needs to collide with some serious uh, curation and quality control. Um, so I, I get excited when I see networks like Wondery come into play. They're putting out, you know, a, a cluster of really good quality produced uh, podcasts that that have a, a common sort of thread or feel to them. And that's why I was also excited to come across your network because I thought that, you know, even though it's young and fresh and still has like new network smell to it, it has all, <laughs> it has that potential to, to be like, you can go to this network and know what kind of quality content you're going to get and then feel good about paying for it. Because I don't complain about my Netflix bill every month. I pay that so happily. It's like the best 14 or whatever dollars, eight, and I forget now, I've gone up a couple of times, but it's the best money I can spend because I get quality, tons of quality content without commercials. So yeah, I think the future is bright for podcasting. I think we're, I think we're eventually going to figure it out. I do too. And I think, um, you know, beyond the scope of what I'm doing, it's such a an important medium. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about just conversations and how as Americans, we need to have more conversations and, um, the, the real, I guess, meat of that phrase is we'd need to shut up and listen to one another. And I think podcasting is such a great medium for that because you, you don't get to talk back. You literally just, you have the option to hear about a topic and you have to listen to it all the way through and then you get to reflect on it. Um, and TV does it a little bit, and film does it a little bit, but podcasting, I, I would say 80% of the shows, at least I listen to, exist for that reason of engaging people in, in topics or conversations that they might not otherwise engage in. Uh, so I think there's such a power to that, and I think that it's very necessary, and I think that there is a way to to monetize it in through subscription services for sure. Um, I just, I hope it happens fast and I hope it happens. Um, I hope, like you said, that it's curated well and it, it, um, affects everyone who's creating good content, not just the top 1%. I hope it happens fast too, especially for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think that's a, a good way to sort of wrap up our conversation, except that I have two questions that I always ask that I don't, uh, I don't prep you for. So this is, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, but they're fun questions. So you don't have to overthink them or anything. Okay. Okay. All right, Josh, if we were to produce a podcast about your life, what would it be called? Oh gosh. Um, I would love to know what's going through your mind right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I'm try, like my marketing brain. It's like, how can I make this sellable? I, yeah, I think, don't even don't even turn on your marketing brain. Okay, I think just like it's okay to laugh at this <laughs> would be the title. I like it. It's okay to laugh at this. That's a great title. You did, <laughs> you did good. Okay, all right. So, if you could recruit any podcaster to your network, 
living or dead, who would it be? That is a loaded question. So <laughs> if they're dead, I assume that means like I can pick a dead person and make them create a podcast. Yeah. Let's just you you get to pick anybody that you want. Okay. Um It's your fantasy podcaster. I, we're gonna go. We're gonna go back to where it, it, all conversations <gasps> seem to lead to, which is the Real Housewives. <gasps> I am obsessed with Carol Radzville, and I could listen to her talk about her experiences as a journalist and as a woman, and a woman in a male-dominated workplace, and as a widow and as a housewife. I could listen to her talk all day long. I would kill to have her host a podcast on my Carol Radsville. Now, which which housewife is she? I mean, which uh, which housewife show is she on? She's on New York, and she is actually married, was at one point married into the Kennedy family. Um, oh, okay. I used to watch the New York Housewives, but then I, I, I missed a couple seasons, and I've, I just kind of lost track of the ladies in New York. So, so she's the one up. who, she on paper has no business being a real housewife. She's an an Emmy-winning journalist, um, a best-selling writer, and not like she became a housewife and then wrote a best-selling book, but wrote a best-selling book about her marriage to a Kennedy and um, his subsequent death from cancer and how she moved on from that. Um, it's just a wickedly smart, well-rounded woman who has experienced the world in a way most of us never will. Um, and I, I'm always, every time I watch The Housewives, which is you know, 50% guilty pleasure, 50% uh, just uh, fascination with society. I look at her and I'm like, what, what are you doing on this? But I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> well, you know what? There's nothing better than a guilty pleasure. <laughs> so, okay, that is that is a great, a great person to nominate for your podcast. And since she's alive, I would just like to put this, um, this bug in your ear. So when the Karen and Ellen letters become the next serial, which is like maybe going to happen in like a week or two, <laughs> you know that you are going to be able to, one of the superpowers you're going to have as a hot podcast producer is you'll be able to reach out to Carol and um, offer her an opportunity to be on your network. <laughs> it, that is such a strange thing. I, I, someone the other day was like, you need to leverage your power. And I was like, what power? Right. <laughs> and they, they kind of were like, Karen and Ellen is going to be big and everybody who listens yeah. to it knows it. And you so just need to act like it that. already is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's bigger than a lot of podcasts. I mean, you're already getting that community engagement. And, you know, a lot of podcasters, me included, would kill for that uh, most weeks. So I think that's something to be really proud of. I can't wait to uh, hear more on the Karen and Ellen letters. I'm also, you know, totally into our Americana. I love what you're doing with your network. So excited for you. I'm so happy we had this conversation. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you, Jennifer. I really enjoyed talking. Thanks for joining us for Podcasting Smarter. You can check our show notes at podcast.podbean.com for links and details. Please like our podcast, leave your comments, and help us spread the word to other podcasters so we can bring you more great episodes with podcasting tips and inspiration from fellow podcasters. If you want to connect with other podcasters or get interviewed on this podcast, please join our Podcasting Smarter Facebook group. We look forward to welcoming you to the community. Happy podcasting! <laughs>